Christ is risen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the benediction of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 this morning, which is what we call the benediction of the book of Hebrews. It is a blessing. The benediction of the book of Hebrews is a blessing, which is a prayer from the writer to God reported to the readers, the people the blessing is about. The author of this letter writes this blessing as a prayerful exclamation mark for his epistle. And I want us to dwell on it a little bit together this morning. Now on a Sunday, I know, when we have baptisms, that I'm just the opening band for the main act. We're all excited to hear Aspen and Hunter tell their stories and then see them get dunked in this tank back here for the glory of Jesus Christ. So I promise to hurry up with this and not go too long. I also know that we have no children's church today, so attention spans will be shorter than usual. And that's another reason why I've picked just these two short verses at the end of the book of Hebrews. But there's gold in these hills. And I want us to dig a little bit today to discover some awesome treasure about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Question for you this morning. Why would you tell somebody what you are praying for them? Why would you tell somebody what you are praying for them? It's good to pray for somebody. And it's good to pray for somebody in private and secretly. Jesus talks about that in His Sermon on the Mount, right? Go into your closet, don't tell anybody. Don't show off with your prayers, right? People don't always have to know that you're praying for them for those prayers to be good and loving and effective. But we all know that it's also a good thing to tell somebody you're praying for them. And even to tell them what you are praying for them. And even to pray in front of them, out loud, so they can hear you pray those things for them. Do you see what I mean? Every night at bedtime, Heather prays with and for our daughter Robin. And I pray with and for our three sons. Now, I also pray for our kids at other times. Times they don't know about. But at bedtime, that's one moment every day they hear me pray for them. And they know what I pray. They're listening. At least, I think they are. And they're agreeing with me in prayer. And that's important, isn't it? When I, when I stand up here and I pray for you, when I pray for Lance Free Church before I preach, I could do that silently. Might be a little awkward. Excuse me while I pray for you. But I could pray just silently. But what do I do? I pray out loud. And I pray in such a way that you can hear me. And you pray it along with me. Well, that's at heart what a blessing is. What a benediction is in the Bible. It's a prayer to God reported to the people being prayed for. Why? So that they are encouraged and strengthened and reminded of who God is, what God has done, and what God wants for them. Who God is, what God has done, and what God wants for them. That's what we pray. And that's what we will find in this benediction. I hope it will be encouraged, encouragement to you and an encouragement to pray it to. Here's what it says. You got it? 
Pew Bible 1194, Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now would you pray with me? As I pray for you. Lord, I want to pray a blessing on the people gathered here today. I pray that they would know who God is And they would know better what you have done. And they would know and want what you want for us. Would you do that? In in a few minutes we'll spend in your word. Help us to dig out the gold, the treasure in these hills. And then to apply it to our personal lives today and tomorrow and hereafter. We pray it in the name of the one who paid our debt and raised our life up from the dead. Jesus Christ. Amen. First, who is God? He is the God of peace. Did you see that when I read the benediction to you? May the God of peace do something. It's good that He's the God of peace because we live in a world at war. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, the human race has lived in a world at conflict. Conflict between God and humanity. And it doesn't get any worse than that. But that conflict then spills over into conflict between humans, one with another. And then also conflict within our very self, within a human, within our own hearts. Humanity is in desperate need of peace because we live at a world, in a world at war. Do you feel that? I think we all feel that the world is broken right now. There is so little peace. It's in every headline, in every newspaper. Brussels? And we're all ready to point the finger at someone else for breaking the peace. But the fact is, the Bible says we are all responsible. It is the curse on our world due to sin. And so what do we need? We need the God of peace to restore the peace. To restore shalom to our world. The good news is that He has done it. And He is doing it. And He will finish the job. What has the God of peace done? He has brought back Jesus from the dead. Here's where I want us to spend most of our little time this morning. The God of peace has done the miracle of all miracles. He has taken a dead man. The man named Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified on a wooden cross in the first century during the rule of Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem and who was buried in a garden tomb. The God of peace has taken this dead man and brought him back to life. That's the miracle of miracles. 
And it's why we're here today. It's what we are celebrating this Sunday and really every single Sunday. The God of peace has brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that means that Jesus went into death. We believe in a crucified Savior. If Jesus didn't die, then all is lost. But we also believe that He has risen. He didn't stay dead. God brought Him back. Not a myth. Not a story. Not a figure of speech. He brought Him back from the dead. And if that's not true, if that's not history, if that is not actually, factually something that happened, then we're wasting our time here this morning. Hunter and Aspen are wasting their time getting dunked in this tank. How utterly silly to get baptized if Jesus has not risen from the dead. But we believe. We believe that the God of peace has brought Jesus back from the dead. He was dead and now He is alive again. The God of peace has done it. Now, before we move on from that, let's linger. I want you to notice something strange in verse 20. Maybe something you've never noticed before. What does verse 20 say as to how the God of peace brought back the Lord Jesus from the dead? What's it say? It says He did it through the blood of the eternal covenant. Isn't that a little strange? It says that God brought back from the dead through or by means of the blood of the eternal covenant. What's that mean? How would the blood bring Jesus back? The blood refers to his death. Isn't that the wrong direction? Didn't the blood put him into his grave? Doesn't the blood take Jesus into his death? What is this writer to Hebrews saying? He's saying, Jesus paid it all. Jesus' sacrificial death was sufficient and acceptable for our sin debt. And because our debt was fully 100% paid, God would raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus would be vindicated because the innocent had perfectly died for the guilty. Do you see what I'm saying? When Jesus died on the cross... He took on our debt with Him. He took my debt. He took Aspen's debt. He took Hunter's debt. He took your debt. You could not pay it. That's what we've been learning this last month. The blood of bulls and goats and rams and lambs could not pay for it. Not fully. But Jesus paid it all. Once and for all. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So catch this. Because of that, Jesus could not stay dead. His death was too good to last through the blood. When that blood was shed so perfectly, so beautifully, so sufficiently, it would have been an injustice for Jesus to remain in the grave. I think that's why it was through the blood of the eternal covenant that Jesus was brought back from the dead. Because Jesus paid it all. 
Therefore, he could not stay dead. And now he lives forever. It's the blood of the eternal covenant. It's the blood of the everlasting covenant. What that blood did then will stay true for all of eternity. And I want you to see this too. He has been brought back from the dead to be our great shepherd. Look at verse 20 again. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who? That great shepherd of the sheep. Now we are the sheep, and Jesus is the shepherd. And that's not very flattering for us, because sheep are dumb. But it's good news for us, because sheep need caring for. And here, what do we have? We have the greatest shepherd ever who is going to live forever. Isn't that good news? You need a shepherd, and you need a shepherd that will never stop shepherding. I sat at the bedside of Jane Fox this Wednesday, Edie Sipes' mom. Jane was in her 90s and at the very end of her life. In fact, she died two days later on Friday. And it was my privilege to share the gospel with her at her bedside. Do you know what I told her? What I read to her from the Bible? It was John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. That's us. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd The reason my Father loves me is I lay down my life. That's the cross. Only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. And I said to Mrs. Fox, Jesus is that Good Shepherd. He laid down His life for us, the sheep, And He took it back up again to give us abundant life. You can trust Him. And Mrs. Fox indicated very clearly that she was trusting in Jesus as her Good Shepherd. Praise God. How about you? Have you trusted in Jesus as your own Shepherd? We all need one. On our own, we're a dumb sheep. Sheep can get lost into a, going into a garage. Okay? The doors open. They wander in. They have no idea how to get out. Right? Great big open door behind them. That's us. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We need a shepherd. Have you trusted Jesus as yours? He's the greatest that ever was. And in fact, He's come back from the dead to shepherd His people. Turn to Him. 
Trust in Him. Put yourself in His hands. Return to Him. Repent and trust in Jesus. The Apostle Peter echoed Isaiah 53 when he said, For you were like sheep going astray, but now, Christians, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's what it means to be a Christian. Have you done that? Everyone has gone astray. Have you returned to the great shepherd of your soul? He has returned from the dead. And I urge you to put yourself in His caring hands so that you can say, Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you can say, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because that's what the God of peace did. He brought Jesus back from the dead through the blood of the eternal covenant to be our great shepherd forever. You know the best thing about this tomb over here? It's empty. So take heart. Jesus has been brought back from the dead by the God of peace. See, that's how we can have peace with God. And it's only in Him that we find our peace with others and our peace within. One more thing to say. And that's to see what God wants for us. We've been reminded of who God is and what God has done, but the writer has one more thing to say, one more thing to pray for his readers. And that is that we would be empowered to please God. Look at verse 21. May the God of peace that we've been talking about, may He equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, that's the actual prayer request of this blessing of a, of a benediction. The request is that God would empower us with everything we need, and not th- one thing less, everything we need to know and do what He wants and to make Him happy. Do you want to do what God wants you to do? Do you want to make God happy? Do you want to please God? Good. Because that's what God wants for us too. In fact, He wants it more than we want it. He wants to empower us, to equip us with everything good for doing His will, and to work in us that which is pleasing in His sight. What pleases God most of all? Faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God wants to work that faith into us, it says. He wants us to believe. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to obey Him. And He wants us to... He wants to empower us to do just that. And here's the best news. He's got the power to do it. You see, that's how the logic of this benediction works. Does God have the power to equip you with everything good for doing His will and work in you that which is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ? That's verse 21. And see, verse 20 has already answered the question. The God of peace has brought Jesus back from the dead. So I'm thinking, yeah, He can pull this off. Yeah, He can do that. He wants to empower me to do everything He wants. He wants to empower me to please Him. Yeah, I think He could probably pull that off. All i got to do is jump in. 
Do you see why the author of this letter might include this, this prayer request, this blessing at the end of his epistle? Why he wants them to overhear what he's praying for them? He wants to encourage his readers that he isn't praying something far off or nearly impossible for them. He's praying something that God wants to do in them and can most certainly do in them. God wants to empower us to please Him. And He's brought Jesus back from the dead to accomplish it. Are you encouraged this morning? Sometimes I think we can get to thinking that we can't please God. That God is constantly unhappy with us and disappointed. Oh, there they go again. But this benediction tells another story. It tells a story of a God of peace who brought back from the dead our great shepherd of the sheep through a perfect sacrifice of His blood. Jesus paid it all. So that now as that blood is applied to us, we can please Him. We can do His will. We can do what He wants. And we can make Him happy. That's the very definition of a Christian. One who has trusted in that blood and trusted in that resurrection and now wants to live to please God. That's what Aspen and Hunter are getting up this morning and saying they want to do. To the glory of Jesus. Verse 21, to Jesus be glory forever and ever. Amen.